I'm talking about miracles. We need miracles. Sometimes we go crazy over them. Sometimes we get, we chase after miracles and forget who the miracle worker is. But most of the problem is we don't see miracles. And above all, we're convinced that miracles could never happen for us and definitely not through us. The scriptures say otherwise. Jesus said otherwise. We need to see what he has to say about this and try and get our head wrapped around the truth about miracles. You just read this scripture from the Message Bible uh, in John. And John 14, John 15, they're... I often call them the high priestly chapters. Those were the final statements and prayers and commandments of Jesus before he went to the cross. It's one of the heaviest passages in all the New Testament, those sections in there. Because by that time, Jesus' time was very, very short. So every word was measured. And everything that was being delivered was of crucial importance at that point. So, sometimes we hear a group of three phrases in the scriptures show up. Signs and wonders are usually grouped together and then the word miracles. And I'm just going to do a general definition. A sign points to God's activity, his intervention, or his presence. Uh, This is a sign. They shall know you by your love one for another. You wouldn't normally think of that as a supernatural sign. Again, Jesus says differently. That's in the high priestly commandment. That's where Jesus is telling him, the greatest commandment I give you is that you love one another. And then he classified that as a miracle because he knows it is. I mean, just look around this room. We'd usually have World War III in here. I mean, we have all different, we can get, we can get upset at each other's race, skin, ethnicity, favorite foods, politics. We still have close to a war over that sometimes, which we shouldn't. But, I mean, we are so different from each other. It is a miracle of God that two people, let alone 200, 400, or 2,000 people, can get along in in the same place. The only thing that makes people stick together in any way, shape, or form is things in common. The only thing that makes the church work is a supernatural God. It's a miracle that we can love each other, an absolute miracle. We can fake it for a while, we can belong to the same country club, the same softball team, association, whatever. We'll still fight and squabble like crazy and uh, inevitably split up. But when God is in the center of a relationship, a miracle does happen. And evidently, Jesus made this the greatest commandment among us that we love one another because it is a miracle, it's a sign. And if the church would ever get their stinking act together and love each other instead of keep splitting because they don't like each other, they would be a sign too. That's one of the signs of the end times is when we can finally be a walking, living, functioning miracle in the sight of ordinary people hungry and desperate for evidence of a God. And that people can actually get along and love each other even while they're different. It's a miracle. And that's the miracle of the church. Um, A wonder is something that creates the question, wow, why? How did this happen? It creates wonder. That's why we use that phrase that's translated into English. A church must have 
both things. We are supposed to teach and to demonstrate, to preach and to demonstrate supernaturally. In the United States and in much of the West, we have for centuries been built on the Grecian model, Greek thought. We've been built on logic. There's nothing wrong with logic, nothing at all as long as you understand the limits of logic. If we lived in a world where everything was pure molecule and everything was purely mathematic, which mathematicians would now tell you, there's so much floating out there, they don't know what's going on. In the world of science, what they thought was sure is not sure. They can't even get the planets right. They're discovering new moons hidden behind the planets that we've confidently put on charts for schools for nearly a century. They're having to change them all constantly. Science, as soon as they think they've nailed stuff down, we're about ready, uh, I think next month, maybe two months from now in October, NASA's going to put up a new uh, satellite, and that satellite's sole purpose, it bears a new telescope. Unlike any telescope that's ever existed, it's something like 100 times more powerful than the Palomar uh, Telescope in California, and um, I forget what the... The multiplier is more powerful than the one that's in space right now, the Hubble telescope. It's phenomenal. And on top of that, they're going to place it on the far side of the moon. So that thing is going to be phenomenal. Well, when that thing gets into place, they're going to discover universes beyond universes beyond universes. And everything we thought we had in a box is going to be blown clear out of the water. Such is the creation of God, a supernatural God. And uh, I think it's important that we live in a constant state of awe, understanding there's more than what we can hammer, touch, reproduce, and verify. We are complex beings. If we aren't, why in the world does the secular science of psychology exist? Evidently, there's more than molecules at work. Well, they've tried their best to reduce it to chemicals, but they've discovered there's more than mere chemical reactions. We are more than all of that. So, the church is supposed to teach and preach and demonstrate the kingdom of God with miracles, with some type of supernatural. And again, we, you know, we live in this practical world where so much of our life is controlled. We know the car won't run unless we put fuel in it. Uh, we know, I, I have to use fuel now because some of you actually are driving, I don't know if any of you have an electric car, but some have diesel and stuff. So anyway, you have to put fuel in it. We know that there's all kinds of things that we, we enclose our lives in the boxes we call our houses or our apartments or condos. Uh, we drive in a box to wherever we're going to go. We have control, controlled schedules and everything. It's funny to see what happens first time... Um, Americans go overseas in a missions trip and they step beyond the electronic realm. And if you're really wild, beyond the electric realm. And if you're really wild, beyond the nearby well realm, where just to get water for any purpose whatsoever, it's going to be a hike to the nearest water source. I mean, they fall apart. It's amazing until they make the adjustment. We have an artificial world around us that's very carefully controlled. And we begin to believe a lie that we actually have a control over our lives. 
And everything around us is what's real, and everything beyond it is unreal. The reality is far different from that. There's a passage in, in 2 Timothy. Paul's writing um, a letter in his maturity to perhaps his most successful disciple, young Timothy, who is now pastoring the megachurch. And he gives him some very stern, strong guidance Almost, you get the feeling from the letter, he almost senses that it might be his last. He writes it from prison. It's one of the prison letters from Paul. But he warns about people who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, using the King James version of that. And we come dangerously close to that in church if we teach the scripture as literature, expound on it intellectually only, and stop short. That doesn't mean we're supposed to have a miracle ever service because you know what? That's not going to happen. God knows us. We would get used to it and demand too. But we need to be ready to have supernatural demonstration of what's going on. We need miracles for another reason because we're not just dealing with arguments, logic, and reasoning. See, one of the weird things is, is to watch different uh, groups of people handle uh, governmental affairs and a philosophy goes into how they handle it and there's the one group that feels like the entire world will be wonderful if we all work on logic and reason and so they'll try and reason with people who don't work with reason that means nothing to them they have a belief system and that's what they go by and logic has nothing to do with it that is often leveled at us and to a certain extent it's valid because there are certain truths you and I operate by that has never yielded to sheer pure logic. Logic will take you to a leaping off point. Use logic. Just don't cheat. C.S. Lewis was a great logician. He was a, a tremendous mind. And he was an atheist. He was England's greatest atheist at the time when he was a college student. And people hated to meet him in public debate. But then he began a search for God, and he searched everywhere. He was a, uh, an escapee from the Church of England. He grew up in Ireland, the English part of Ireland, and uh, he could not relate to the church. So he looked everywhere else, became an atheist, and then at another point, uh, working with another uh, uh, professor at, in the Oxford system, began to study and logic took him right up to a leaping point. He eliminated one thing after another, looking for the answers, looking at every major religion and every system through human history. And he came down to Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism. And uh, then he reluctantly accepted. Logic led him to the point the only logical choice was the God of Christianity. But he just couldn't. He, he called himself the most reluctant convert to theism, to believing in God in the earth. He said, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit because of logic, because he did not cheat. And logic led him to the point, but it would not take him the whole way. There came a point where he had to step out by faith and believe in an invisible God based on the evidence at hand. And then the Holy Spirit began to move on him, and he became the greatest defender in the last hundred years of the kingdom of God 
And he used logic to do it. But he's, his whole point was, there is a kingdom beyond where logic can take you. God gave us our brains, wants us to use them, but we like to cheat. So why miracles? We're not just dealing with logic and argument. Um, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 we know it, the latter half of it, we know it as the place where we're told about our spiritual armor. But the first part tells us what we're dealing with. I'm going to read it again from an unusual uh, translation, the Message Bible, just to kind of jar us. Get to look at this from a different way. And it says it's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18a in the Message Bible. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Powerful words that you and I can hardly relate to if we're honest. And the reason it's hard for us to relate to it is our insulated, controlled environment. I encourage everyone in here, if you get a chance, take a short-term mission trip. Go with YWAM or go with one of the groups around, but get off of this soil or go into a place in the United States where you are put at risk and you do not have control of your environment. Sometimes uh, YWAM, which is used with a mission based in Ozark, sometimes they take uh, people that come for a short-term short -term, uh, training deal called DTS. At the end of the training, um, they'll take them places locally locally meaning like New York City and Hell's Kitchen or uh, to Indian reservations or to places where you absolutely have no control whatsoever. It is by faith that you operate and the people always come back changed because they had to lean on God. They did lean on God and they found out he came through. And it changes your life forever whenever you can get out of this controlled environment and see how true Paul's words were. When Paul wrote these, these passages, again, it was at the, toward the end of his life. He's very serious. People are dying for the faith. We're an insulated world over here. But just across the border and other places, people are being murdered because they declare Jesus as Lord because they change their lives, because they believe what Jesus said and begin to follow him. And it costs them everything. It's happening as we sit here right now. But all we're insulated from that so it doesn't seem real. But for the rest of the world, where there aren't the freedoms that we have, these words are life and death. And that's what he's trying to get across to us as the church. Um, there's a reason, you know, we've just looked at the reason why the weapons of our warfare, using the King James phrase, aren't carnal or fleshly. They're not something we can go buy at the store, unless you want to consider buying a Bible, something you buy at the store. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, was always intended to come with power and miracles, always. 
It states that in the scriptures a number of places. I'm going to go through them real quick, just a few of them. 1 Corinthians 1.24 talks about Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you want to learn more about Jesus, see how the scriptures describe Jesus. See how, what he says about himself. See what the prophets said about him. See what other people who were contemporary to him said about him. Even see what his enemies say about him. But here the scriptures say, Paul's saying Christ was the power of God and he's the wisdom of God. Who do we receive when we surrender our life to God? We receive Jesus Christ. Scriptures talk about us being one with him. He talks about what in scripture we began that he has made a deposit in us. He is the power and the wisdom of God. If you walk in Christ and Christ is in you, what do you have in you? The power and the wisdom of God. But it's dormant. We need to find out how to let this thing loose. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. There's talks about the demonstration of spirit and power. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If this church, if other churches around the world, the country, and even in our, our local towns, if we begin to demonstrate the power of God, I'm not just talking about legs growing out and stuff like that, although that would be wonderful. But one of the greatest movements of power, have you ever wondered by right after someone comes to Jesus, they'll go tell someone about what happened to their life and powerful things happen? More people come to Jesus. You know why? How do you define a sign? And I wonder, if someone knows you and what a sorry dog you are and something happens to you that changes you overnight that shocks the fire out of them, it's a sign and a, wow, what happened, wonder. That's a daily wonder, a simple wonder. It's a miracle that some of you are alive. Just a quick survey. How many of you here are a miracle? You would not be alive but for God. Just a miracle. Do you see how many? It's just a slight touch there. Hallelujah. First uh, Timothy 1.7 talks about how we have not been given a spirit of timidity or of weakness, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, Jumping back just a little bit real quick. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20. Paul is trying to get across to some people that are being fooled by flim-flam people, by people who are slick with words. He says, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. When you come, if you, when the power of God is revealed in a situation... It dismisses arguments. It dismisses all the garbage and gobbledygook we live in. There's something about reality of God showing up that changes everything. It just changes everything. It's a lever that just pushes everything over the hill. It's done. And God wants us to walk in that kind of power, not for ego trips, not for goofiness, not for show-off stuff, but he wants us to be able in our lives somehow to demonstrate a love so fierce people can't escape from it. Are you able to love the unlovely so fiercely that they know that they know you're not like all the other people? Because that is a supernatural task. You cannot pull it off. No matter how nice a person you are, you will reach, you will reach your limit. But supernaturally, 
you you cannot figure out. It's kind of like when they did the the feeding of the five thousand. Where does the bread keep coming from? When the power of God is in you to reach out to someone who's hurting, or who has been rejected, you'll keep you'll wonder where the love keeps coming, where the forgiveness keeps coming from, where the grace to work with these jerks keeps coming from. It's God. He lives in each one of you. I don't care how low you think you are. Oh, he'd never use me. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm not one of those people. Yeah, you are. If you follow Jesus, if you've surrendered every molecule of your life to Jesus, then Jesus is in every molecule of your life. And it only takes one molecule of Jesus to change everything. He's in you. All you need to do is discover how to let him out. That's all you and I need to do, and I'm including myself in this. You guys know how hard it is to preach any kind of a message about miracles? Because everybody assumes, oh, so how many miracles have you worked? Uh, people, you know, drool comes out of your mouth. Or you're trying, uh. I've had miracles in my life, but I wish there were more. I wish that at my beck and call. I wish I could just command a miracle. It would be a whole lot easier and a whole lot less embarrassing. But God doesn't work that way. He knows us. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Our gospel came not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. It's King James Version, guys. The Holy Spirit. You know what manner of men we were among you. He added that second phrase to say, another confirming sign was the way that we lived our lives. We weren't jerks. We weren't after your money. We weren't having twisted motives. You could trust us. We're here for the long haul. We're going to be the same with you face-to-face as we are with the high and mighty or with the low. We're going to treat everybody the same with respect and love and humility. These, that's, that is part of your supernatural ministry. You guys, the miraculous and the supernatural is so close to the natural you wouldn't recognize it. Why do you think they didn't recognize Jesus? He wasn't going around shondying everywhere. And nobody had more of the Holy Spirit in him. He operated in the Spirit of God without measure. There was no limit to the Holy Spirit in him. And he wasn't a jerk. He wasn't a religious twit. He was revolutionary. He was uncouth. But he was supernaturally natural. Okay, I need to keep moving, moving, moving here. Um, In Mark 16, the last two verses of that gospel, translators tell us that that phrase, some translations don't even include, include that in there. So I'm doing that for honesty and reporting. So there are many translators that feel that was added later, probably added based on experience in the first century church would be my take on it. But I'm going to do it because this was how it was reproduced many times. I'm going to read this. Mark 16, 17 through 18. This is King James Version. And these signs shall follow them that believe. The reason I can say this is this is reproduced in something in John from what Jesus said. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. I think what was happening here was prophesying or talking about Paul's snake encounter in his missionary voyage. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Miracles, how do they work? 
God hasn't revealed all of the facts and the keys behind miracles, but we should treasure and operate based on the things revealed in the Old Testament and the New Testament about miracles. And there's a ton of information about them. I'm not going to go into all the details, but I can give you a few just so you can do your own research. Um, we know some examples. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it's recorded, one source I looked at this morning, it's recorded that he had 37 miracles in his life. You, you probably thought there were hundreds. There probably were. At the end of one of the Gospels, we're told that if all the things Jesus said and did were recorded, there would, wouldn't be enough books. The whole world couldn't hold all the books describing what he did. So we have 37 miracles described in the four Gospels and in other places that he's done. Pretty amazing. But he demonstrated, I'm going to just use some of these things. He demonstrated his compassion. And the reason I bring this up is compa <clears throat> compassion was the driving force behind many of the miracles Jesus did. Don't be surprised <clears throat> if your compassion for somebody causes you to step over the wall of unbelief and fear to help somebody by faith. You may have never prayed for anybody's healing because you're afraid, oh, when they don't get healed, then I won't know what to say. I'll be embarrassed. That was me for much of my life. But compassion will drive you to forget about yourself, forget about fears of being made a fool of or look like an idiot <laughs> and cause you to pray. Because what Jesus asked us to do is to pray and believe, not work the miracle. Do you understand that? You're not responsible for working any miracle, not a single one, because you can't. You cannot do a miracle. You cannot work a miracle in your own power. It's God who does the miracle. What he asks us to do is to pray, to believe, to comfort, to stand with people, to be a miracle. So when we talk about miracles in our lives, I believe that we will see significant, powerful miracles. But I believe that first and always we'll see many small miracles that are daily and regular. And many of them will be powered by compassion. You begin to, you'll see a, a total stranger in a normal place and compassion will come on your heart and it will move you to do something you'd never do in your right mind. Let me put it this way. You'd never do in your human mind, but in your supernatural mind of Christ, it's the normal thing to do. Make a difference in somebody's life. Dare to pray for them. And I, I've described it before. The first miracle of my life, I didn't think was going to happen because I'd never seen a miracle in my life. And I spent, I got a call to go pray for a lady. I told you guys before, it was a lady who was in a diabetic coma and they figured it was over for her. They, they had done everything they could. They could not get her out of this coma. She had been in a coma for a long period of time. And at that point, I was a, associate pastor to church in uh, Fort Smith and about as green as you can possibly be and I did not have faith I grew up in a, a system uh, a church system that had lots of love for God absolutely and knew how to stick with God but when it came to praying we'd, we'd pray for people and 
before I'd pray, I would debate for half an hour and try and get all my explanations as to why they wouldn't get healed after I prayed for them. I was always, my whole head was in the way constantly. I went and prayed for this lady. She was unconscious. Maybe that's why I was successful. Um, I figured she wouldn't challenge me. She wasn't healed. And she was totally unresponsive. So I go there and pray for her cold, clammy feet uh, in the hospital room and then leave and then get a call the next day and discover it's the lady calling me, thanking me for praying for her. I was more surprised than she was. <laughs> so much for my faith. But it was compassion that moved me. There's a whole list of Jesus' compassion. There's, he, he prayed for the multitudes that were fainting. Sometimes he'd work a miracle with them, he'd feed them, but he had compassion for the multitude. They were fainting and they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. He... Um, forgave debt in a parable. There's places where uh, he had blind people come to him. He opened their eyes and they followed him. In Mark, he healed a leper, but he moved out of compassion. That tells you one thing. The healer, Christ our healer, Christ the miracle worker, has compassion, works through your compassion, and he values compassion. So understand, compassion has a role in miracles. Um, let me see. Let me see if I can find these other things, guys. These notes sometimes get too much. He delights in faith. The Samaritan woman came to him. She wasn't supposed to be in the religious accepted group, but she had such strong faith that a miracle was granted to her. There are many places in the gospel where Jesus said, your faith has healed you. We sometimes elevate that as the supreme thing. It's important. It's not the supreme thing. Love is a supreme thing. But faith is very important. He delights in faith. And sometimes the people healed didn't have a bit of faith. It was all the faith of the one doing the prayer. Sometimes it was corporate faith together that got the job done. Faith always must be involved in a miracle. But Jesus said if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can do something we've never seen done before. So evidently he doesn't require a whole lot. Just a little. Just give him what you've got and let him break it and make it and see what he'll do with it. Um, he is attracted by passion. Bartimaeus, one of my favorite people in the Gospels, was a guy who lived in Jericho, a city back in no man's land between uh, the Jewish realm and the Samaritan realm. And Jericho was a place you only went because it was a gas station in between for the camels. And so that's where he met Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was on the side of the road as a beggar. He was not allowed to come close to anybody. And uh, he cried out and basically stopped the Jesus parade. And Jesus stopped everything because of his cry, have mercy on me. He respects a passionate cry for help. And sometimes he'll call you when he moves you with compassion, he'll call you to passionately cry out for someone else. And God will hear that cry. He honors that. He seeks passionate worship. All I have to do is say alabaster box. You understand what I'm talking about. Jesus loves passionate worship. He has respect for bold requests. A centurion, a non-Jew, a representative of the very government that would ultimately help crucify him. The centurion came with a bold request that he heal his daughter. Jesus honored that. Um, he responds to humble contrition. Just remember the comparison of prayers between the Pharisee and the sinner. 
And Jesus explained that the prayer that was answered was the humble, contrite, in other words, humble, broken prayer to God without any pretense, without any fanciness, God honors that. Uh, we know that he's not impressed with programmed repetition, but he is very impressed with persistent petition. Um, when Jesus was teaching about prayer and he talked about the persistent widow that would just drive people crazy and keep hammering, keep hammering until the, the request was granted. He said, pray like that. If we want to be a people who walk in miracles, we need to understand there are times and places for persistent petition to God. You keep hammering, you keep hammering, you keep hammering, you keep hammering, you don't give up. You never give up. God loves that. It blesses him. It honors him. We need to be that kind of people. That doesn't fit into people who are content to live in a nice controlled life in a box that's air conditioned. Understand there is a world that's dying and killing itself outside, just outside our doors. And they desperately need sign that there is a God of miracles who exists. And he works through ordinary people like you and me. That way they don't have to be Moses on a mountain somewhere to find God. They've got to be convinced that ordinary people like us can actually talk with God, which we can. I'm almost done, guys. Hang in there. There's a big difference between believing in miracles, which is good, and simply seeing that we are miracles walking. We have Jesus inside us. We have the miracle worker by the Holy Spirit living in us, working in us. We are extensions of the hand of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. We are supposed to do the works of Jesus on his behalf. That's in the very first scripture that we read from the high priestly prayer and his last statements. He made it very clear. I'm commissioning you to do what I do. And now you're going to do greater than what I did. And so uh, I'm saying miracles are for us to operate in. I just encourage you to change your daily awareness. Begin to understand if you start your day in his presence, it will affect the rest of your day. Just like you know, start your day with a good breakfast and you do well the rest of the day. Well, start your day with the King of Kings. Take a deep breath of the Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh, the breath of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Take a deep breath of him. Let him change how you live. And you're going to find yourself ready to be a miracle to somebody. Ready to speak a word in time and season that they'll wonder, a sign and a wonder, how you knew that. Because God whispered to your heart and said, I dare you to whisper to them what I just told you. That's happened to me many times. I've been shocked. I'm always shocked that God would use me. You've got to be kidding. You know what a twerp I am. He still does it. Okay, I just want to read a passage. There's two things that I want to read, and they're powerful. First thing is Ephesians 6. We're going to put it up. This is from a new translation that has some valuable insights in it. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. This is called the Passion Translation. This has said this. This is basically, uh, well, let's just read it. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength 
Wow, that doesn't sound like our lives, does it? Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor of God that armor that God provides so that you're protected as you confront the slanderer for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph put on holiness as a protective armor that covers your heart stand on your feet alert then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of peace in every battle take faith as your wraparound shield for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies and take the mighty razor sharp sword spirit sword of the spoken word of god pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times pray the blessings of god upon his believers powerful isn't it Finally, I want to share something that's about three months old. Wayne Drain stood on this stage and spoke by the Spirit of the Lord, I believe, to us, a prophecy to this church, to you and me together. I want to read this to us. A word for Grace Church on May 20th, 2018. You're entering a season of hearing and obeying as you embrace the marriage of word and spirit in a fresh way. It will not be like it has been. It will be as new wine being poured into new wineskins. I'm thankful for the song we did this morning, new wine. Proclamation with demonstration will be the new normal. The supernatural will become more natural. On this special day, Pentecost Sunday, revelation is being imparted to endue those who can receive it with fresh power from the Holy Spirit. A new dependency on the Holy Spirit is being asked of you. It's a time to take bigger steps of faith than human reason, human logic, and human strength can accomplish. As this becomes the new reality, you will proclaim the transformative good news of God's kingdom with connected demonstration. Miracles. You will no longer be satisfied with teaching alone. You will begin to do and to teach for the glory of God. You will know this is true as you see a new creativity arise among you. New expressions of worship and the arts will arise. Creative solutions you have not considered will be discovered. Creative ways to communicate through showing and telling ideas will come to you in dreams and visions. Acts of kindness will become widespread as you begin to see your city transformed. It's time to live God's word as you rely on the Holy Spirit more and more. You will hear people say, we can hear and see that God is among you. Let's stand. How many of you here again, um, you're here today because of a miracle that either saved your life or transformed you? Yes, okay. Just remember who you are as if you could forget. Now, how many of you here this morning 
are believing God or are desperate for a miracle. You need a miracle. Uh, my first leading, I think I'm just going to follow it, is if you can raise your hands, if you're just believing God for a miracle and you need it, raise your hands again. And those of you who have had a miracle or are a miracle in your life, I want you to look around. I want you to make your way there and in everyone else. Let's just pray one for another today. Don't be embarrassed because... I may not need a miracle today, but I will certainly need one tomorrow. All of us need God's power. Let's pray one for another. And again, let's just be normal while we do something that's supernatural. Father, we believe that you are God Almighty. All power is yours. And you've given that power and invested it in your Son. And Jesus has invested that power in us. Lord, as we lay hands on our brothers and sisters, we take the faith you've given us. We've each received a measure of faith. We take that faith, no matter how strong or how weak it is, and we put our trust in you. And we ask you, we petition you, we call upon you in faith, trusting your word for a miracle. Thank you for moving heaven and earth. Thank you for moving molecules, transforming DNA, creating that which is missing. Thank you for healing in our bodies in Jesus' name. Thank you for miraculously restored relationships in Jesus' name. Thank you for reversal of symptoms and disease, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for proving your ability to provide for our every need in life, financial, spiritual, physical, mental. Thank you, Father. You are more than enough. Your very name is the God of more than enough. We trust you, Father. Thank you for a miracle in Jesus' name. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by your spirit. We trust you, Father, in the name and by the blood of Jesus. We thank you, it's done in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for miracles and the good report that shall come from it. In Jesus' precious name we give thanks. Amen. <laughs>